Welcome to Keeping Secrets. I'm Vir Koto. Keeping Secrets is a web series produced by Dating Kinky about the intersection of kink and privacy. In this series, we'll be talking about the hidden dangers, hidden allies, and practical steps you can take to protect yourself and your community. We give you the information and tools to make informed decisions that are right for you. These webinars are recorded live and then released as a podcast. So if you're interested in participating and you're comfortable sharing, you can join us for questions just like these amazing people are here tonight. Uh, I am Veer Koto. I'm a geek, a kinkster, and a privacy advocate. You can check out my website at veerkoto.com. Email me at veer at veerkoto.com. Uh, or I am on FetLife as Veer Koto, all one word. By the way, I've noticed that there is a uh, weird delay between my changing slides and the slides you're seeing. So I apologize for that. I'm not sure what's going on. But with that, the opinions expressed in this series are my own. Your mileage may vary. Consult your doctor if after taking my advice, you have an erection that lasts more than four hours. Uh, so with that, let's uh, get started. Uh, and again, we might be slightly out of sync here for the for the slides, but we'll, but we'll live. I think every one of us um, has gone to the supermarket and read a label or a term on a food thing, and we were confused by what we saw. So maybe we saw organic or all natural or plant-based or made with real fruit. Um, just last week, I saw a box of rice at the supermarket. It had the word plant-based on it. So it was plant-based rice. Um, and the same is true with computers, uh, especially in the security and privacy space. Uh, we see words like secure, encrypted, and the cloud. And uh, it's kind of hard to know what these, what these words uh, always mean. So um, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to go through terms you've heard, you've probably heard, or you've seen. And while we're at it, um, let's talk about it in the chat. If there's a term that you've heard um, and that maybe we didn't cover and you'd like more information about it, or there's something that, that you've seen that really bugs you, um, you know, put it in the chat and we'll talk about it together, especially in the, in the Q&A. So uh, let's start with uh, why. Um, we don't have great worldwide statistics, but research in the US says that uh, Americans have a lot of accounts, online accounts. In 2017, uh, they had 150, or average, an average of 150 accounts per person. Um, and then the, the organization that did that study, Dashlane, predicted that by 2020, which is the year we're in now, we would have 300 accounts. So that's a lot. Um, and then research was also showing that on average, we have about 40 apps, uh, 40 apps on our smartphone. And that in addition to the 40 apps that we have, we also download and delete a lot more apps. So with all these accounts and apps, there's a lot of chance for our, for our private information to be collected and used. And that's often in ways we don't like. Uh, for a kinkster like, like us, that's even more scary because these apps can collect information like where we've been, who we spend time with, what kind of things we like to talk about, and so on. 
So as kinksters, we need to be even more aware of what we agree to and how that information is used. And that's why we're here tonight. We're going to break down the confusing terms. We're going to understand what companies are really doing. We're going to show you how to read a privacy policy. Um, we're going to do all of that. So that's all we're going to do all of that in in probably about an hour. Um, so let's start with some confusing terms um, that at least I've seen and uh, aren't very clear. The first is uh, the cloud, and I'm I'm sure people have heard uh, the of the cloud, right? Your information is safe in the cloud. Your information is stored in the cloud. Um, it's a very pervasive buzzword, and it's the one that annoys me most. So I'm going to tell you here and now, there's no cloud. There's only other people's computers. Uh, when a company says they're storing it in the cloud, what they mean is we're going to store it on our company servers, and that's it. Um, from there, you as a consumer can make a decision. Maybe you're good with that. Maybe you're okay with your information being stored on the company servers because then you don't have to store it or you don't have to back it up. That's totally fine. And that's a choice you can make as an informed consumer. But I think that the term the cloud is a little bit vague um, and it, it just kind of hides what's really going on, which is that these companies have servers, <laughs> they run them, and that's where your information lives. So, so I think that's a, a great place for us to start um, kind of taking some of this marketing speech and just turning it into, into what it really is. Um, another term that I think is confusing to people is the term privacy policy. Uh, a P, and, the, and the reason I think this is uh, confusing to people is that a Pew study in 2014 showed that 52% of people think that if a company has a privacy policy, it means they won't sell or give away your personal information. So in 2014, if, if you had a privacy policy, half the people were confused and thought that that meant that the company wasn't going to sell or give away your personal information. Well, that's not the case. A privacy policy is just a document. And that document outlines what the company will do with your data or maybe what they won't do. For Americans, it's like if you have an HMO as an insurance company saying that you have a, you know, you have health insurance, but saying you have health insurance doesn't say what will and won't be covered in that health insurance. So having a privacy policy doesn't mean that the, that the website has privacy, that they're going to do the right thing by you. It's just a document that sets out exactly what they will do. And it can say that they'll collect the information about you. It can say that they'll use it, that they'll sell it. Um, they just need to disclose that to let you know that that's what they're doing and put that in their privacy policy. Um, privacy policies are also often really hard to read. Uh, and we're going to go through how to read them later on in this webinar, how to break them down and read them quickly. Another term um, that's confusing is terms of service or terms of use. Um, it's, it's not the same thing as a privacy policy. A terms of service is more like a list of rules and you need to agree to those rules before you're allowed to use the site or the service. Um, having a terms of service doesn't mean that the site has a privacy policy. Um, the two work together, but they um, aren't the same thing. So you actually will wanna check both the terms of service and the privacy policy yeah, if you're curious.
Do you love women in charge dynamics? Are you ready to take your feminine dominance skills to the next level? To learn to dominate safely, creatively, and most of all, confidently? Looking for information on how to encourage growth, learning, and discipline in your power dynamic? Or maybe you want to learn how to really submit in a woman-led dynamic. Are wondering how to find the right dominant partner for you? And to learn and train to please her the best way possible. You're in luck. FLR, Femdom, and Women in Charge is happening online June 10th through 12th and is now open for registration. Get your ticket to get access to the special learning and interactive events leading up to the weekend. Enjoy Femdom-centered content to share and discuss. Plus, get your personal invite to a special Discord server to meet other Women in Charge enthusiasts, to get to know each other, and connect before and after the event. Find out more at womenincharge.info. That's womenincharge.info. But let's let's get back to some kind of really confusing terms. Um, one that I find really confusing is the term uh, secure server. Um, so uh, it's one of the most common terms that I've had people ask me about. So. Um, hey, all your personal data is stored on our secure server. Um, and when I was younger, I was asked by one of my well, my boss at the time to install a secure server so we could store uh, credit card information and credit card numbers for our customers. And uh, I had to explain to my boss that there wasn't a thing I could just go and buy called a secure server. Um, it, it This term really doesn't mean very much at all it's it's kind of the the natural of the security world um in that it can mean almost anything uh well you know it's it's like natural or um, sometimes you see made with natural ingredients um if something says it's made with natural ingredients um you should probably be skeptical about how healthy that is and if something says it's on a secure server um you might want to be a little skeptical about what that actually means um, a long time ago, back, let's say in the 90s, uh, that term did have a technical meaning, was, which was that it used to, um, it meant that the, that the website was encrypted, that it used HTTPS, um, or for the security folks out there, it meant that the site used SSL or TLS encryption. Um, but that hasn't been the case for a really long time. Nowadays, almost every website uses HTTPS um, and those that don't are the, the odd ones out. So nowadays, the you know, this term secure server doesn't mean anything. Uh, another term, a related term that I've been seeing is secure internet or secure online access. Um, these terms are used often by VPN providers when they're selling their product. Um, and these, Terms also don't mean anything. Um, they might argue that it means uh, encrypted uh, internet, but that doesn't really mean very much. Um, and that's a perfect segue right into the term encrypted or, or encryption. And this is one of those terms that I think security geeks like myself think everyone understands, but a lot of people really don't understand what it means. So I'm gonna briefly explain the term and then explain why I think marketers 
um, often exploit this term to, to confuse people. Encryption just means that you use some process to hide information. That's all it means. And what's important to understand is that encryption is not the same thing as privacy. When companies talk about encryption, what they mean is that the, what they usually mean is that the information between your computer and their computer isn't re readable by someone in between, like your ISP or other people on your network. But that doesn't mean that everything you do on their website is private. Um, if you send a letter with a sealed envelope, you can be pretty sure that during uh, its time in the post office, no one in the post office is going to read it. But you can't be sure that once it reaches the destination, that it's only read by you know, the person on the, uh, on the envelope, right? So um, when I was uh, a teenager, and I'm going to get a little personal here, I had, um, I would sometimes write uh, love letters to my girlfriend at the time. And, um, you know, I had to uh, just, you know, go on her parents' assurance that they weren't reading her mail, right? So it's the same thing. Uh, encryption isn't privacy. It's just a piece of privacy. Um, so let's talk about that word itself. What does private mean? Um, when you see the word private, uh, such as private access or private message, like what, what does that mean? Um, and I, it doesn't mean a whole lot, right? It means that the message has an intended audience. Um, so uh, the way I think about this is uh, about passing notes in class. So um, I don't know if anyone else passed notes in class. Maybe, maybe uh, you're all um, young enough that you all just text messaged in class. But when I was when I was young, uh, we would write notes on paper, and then uh, people would you know write these notes and they'd fold them, and on the outside of the of the note they'd write down the name of the person they wanted the note to go to, and that note might get to that person, but there was nothing stopping someone from reading it on the way there. And that's how I think of a private message online. It's private in that it's intended for one person, but unless there's some additional layer of security, that on itself doesn't mean that it's that it has privacy. Um, so that's, again, another term that I think uh, is important to, to understand um, so that we can kind of cut through, cut through some of that uh, well, you know, BS. Um, another term you may have heard of is do not track. Um, and that's a browser setting that you can set that tells websites uh, not to track you. Unfortunately, it's not mandated anywhere that websites follow this setting um, and most of them just plain ignore it. Um, and we'll talk a tiny bit about privacy settings um, just, just really briefly at the end of the webinar. So. Uh, if you see, you know, do not track, um, that doesn't mean very much. On the other hand, end-to-end -end encrypted does. Uh, this is a term you may now be encountering, um, but this isn't something that most companies are talking about or, or offering. Um, it's essentially the highest level of assurance that you can have between two parties for the communication to be uh, encrypted and private. Uh, really briefly, 
I'll explain end-to-end -end encryption. End-to-end -end encryption means that the data is encrypted, so it's it's encoded on your device. So that could be your computer or your phone. And, and then it's sent to the server. And on that server, it stays encrypted. So the server can't read the information. Um, and then that server passes on the encrypted encoded information to the other person, to the recipient's computer or phone. And that's where the information is then decrypted and uh, and then that other person can, can read it. So there's a distinction, right? With normal encryption, what we would call transport encryption, it's encrypted, but the server can read it. With end-to-end -end encryption, uh, the server uh, can't read it. So um, depending on you, where you live, uh, there are some legal challenges is to end-to-end -end encryption. In Australia, for example, companies are required now to offer mechanisms to, to allow law enforcement to get uh, backdoor access into private communication, and they specifically target end-to-end uh, -end encryption. In the United States, the Earn It Act, which has been reintroduced into Congress as of the time of this recording, would also effectively eliminate end-to-end -end encryption by requiring that companies offering online services have a backdoor to communications of their users. Um, in other words, they're looking to make it impossible for a company to run a service, a service that offers secure communication. So end-to-end uh, -end encryption is something that you should be looking for, um, but you're not going to see it very much in, in the kind of commercial space because it's it is so secure and um, there are so many legal challenges to it uh, a term you often find uh, I'm moving on there I realized was a, we were going into a dark place so a term you often hear uh, is personalized um, and whenever I hear it it conjures up images in my mind of like butlers and bespoke suits um, but what this term really means is that if the uh, is that the app or the website is collecting information about you and then it changes the behavior either of the website or of the ads it shows you depending on the context so an example of this uh, is um, a streaming service might personalize the shows it recommends uh, and then the ads it shows depending on the shows you can watch so whether this is a good or bad thing is up to you you may like the fact that, you know, your streaming service is giving you more relevant shows, shows it thinks you're going to like. Or you might not like it and you might want total anonymity. Um, and I'm not getting into the kind of the moral aspect. I'm just telling you this is what this term means. Um, so in order to is the experience, the site or the service had to collect information about you. And if they're collecting information about you, some companies will also sell or give that information away to other companies. And that's a perfect segue into the word share <laughs> or sharing. Um, and sh sharing sounds like a good thing. Uh, and it often is uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, who States, you probably know who Mr. Rogers is. He taught me about the value of sharing and being a good neighbor. Unfortunately, many companies have started to hide the practice of selling your personal information under the banner of sharing 
because sharing sounds better than selling or trading. Uh, when a company shares your information, they often do so in exchange for some other valuable things, such as access to a service or in exchange for um, you know, some other, some other intangible um, other than money. Uh, a, a term, the term sharing is probably better thought of as the term bartering, um, which is basically, hey, we're trading this for something other than money. But in my view, it has all the dangers of selling. You know, it's, it's, it's all the dangers of we're going to sell your information, but they just don't call it that. So really, let's talk about the term trusted partner. Um, often you'll find terms like trusted partner coming up in privacy policies, such as in the sentence, we may share your information with trusted partners. Um, all this means is that the company or service you're using is working with another business. Um, the term trusted partner is just a nicer way to express that the business has an existing business relationship. Um, this isn't a red flag on its own. It's nearly impossible for any online service or business to, to do things completely on their own without any help. So I don't consider having trusted partners to be a red flag, but there's an element of misdirection in it in that they're just not telling you, hey, these are just businesses we're doing. These are just other businesses we're working with. Instead, they use this term trusted partner, um, which doesn't really mean very much. So now that we've cut through some of the marketing and legal speak, let's talk about how to actually read one of these privacy policies quickly and relatively painlessly. Um, instead of reading the entire policy, I'm going to show you how to skim it and focus on what's important with just, uh, with just, uh, well, I see, oh, I see one of the questions has gotten cut off on the slide. Because uh, there wasn't enough room. Well, seven questions, six of which you can see on your screen. Um, so those questions are: What information is being collected? How is that information being used? Um, oh, right. What are the reasons for collecting the information? How is it being used? Who has access to your data? Uh, who do they share it with? How do they store your data? How long do they keep your data? And can you correct or delete your data? Um, oh, and the last one, which isn't even on the slide, is will they tell you if their privacy policy has changed? Don't worry, we're going to go through one of these um, real quick, and you'll be able to read a privacy policy like a boss. So let's start with uh, what is being collected. If you walk into a donut shop and you buy a donut with cash, um, they shouldn't ask to see your driver's license. You know, they don't need to know who you are. They don't need your name. In the same way. If you buy a flashlight app for your phone, it shouldn't need to know your physical location. It's not important for its job. So look for what information a service is collecting about you um, and see if it sounds worth it or if, if it seems even necessary. Maybe you really like this particular game on your phone but if that game is collecting your personal contacts, eh, maybe it's not worth it. Um, so, so some common information that's often collected unnecessarily is your location, I said contacts, um, and access to your microphone and camera. Again, if you've got you know, a flashlight, your flashlight doesn't need access to your camera. There's no reason for it. 
access, you know, flashlight doesn't need access to your microphone. It's completely irrelevant. So, um, you know, an app or service should only be collecting what they need to get the job done. And that goes into what are their reasons for collecting your data? When you go to the doctor's office, you want to know that they're storing um, your uh, personal information um, in, in a safe way. Um, so, you know, if if they had the printer out, um, if you had the, sorry, so I got lost a little bit. So if they had the printer out in the patient waiting room, that would be scary and concerning. So similarly, um, Oh, I see. I've, I've I lost a slide here, so I'm going. To, sorry about that. So, what are their reasons? Uh, a lot of times, these services will will um, keep your data um, for for reasons that 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 don't that don't make sense. Um, again, you know, we could go back to my flashlight example. They don't need this information, but oftentimes a privacy policy will tell you why. You know, we're collecting this information and they'll often use one, uh, a very common term um, to improve the site or service. Um, and that just, that doesn't mean very much. It just means we want to make our site better and we don't know how your data will help us, but we'll, we'll keep it and we'll figure it out later. Um, so something to, just something to consider. Um, so let's talk about how long they keep your data. Um, how long a company keeps your data can be as important as what it collects, and that's usually called uh, data retention. Um, a company may have a good reason to collect certain information. For example, a company may need to collect network data in order to protect it against online attacks, but it won't need to keep that information for more than a day or two. Or a company may be required by law to keep certain records. On the other hand, some companies keep your data forever, even if they don't have to, and that could be a problem if they decide to change business models um, and they decide to sell your data later, or if they're sold to a third party. If you don't, if you don't see a data retention policy in the privacy policy, your best bet is to assume they keep your data forever. Um, I'm going to go back because I think we've actually lost a slide, right? So uh, I messed up here. Uh, and we talked, we, I missed uh, how they store um, and secure your data. So there's no slide for that. Um, so I'm now I'm going to use that, that analysis to note myself about, which is, um, you know, if you go to a doctor's office, you want to know that they're not just kind of keeping your private information out on the printer. Um, if an online service is collecting information about you, you want to know how they store it. Is the information being stored in an encrypted form? Is it being stored in another country? Um, for example, one that might have less scrupulous laws about privacy. Um, are there security processes in place to keep employees from stalking the clients um, or the users? Um, these are the kind of questions you should be asking when you read about information storage in a privacy policy. So I apologize for not having a slide for that. Um, so uh, we, we talked about uh, data retention, which is how long they keep your data. Um, and so, so apologies. Um, let's talk about co uh, correcting or deleting your data. Um, ultimately, the, the issue around collection of data is about control. It's about who ultimately has control of your information, right? Information about you. 
A way to address that, that question is by knowing if you have a way to either correct or delete the data that a company has about you. A good privacy policy will allow you to request an update, correct, a correction or entire removal, or at the very least, provide a contact where you can make inquiries. So where you can ask questions about how you could get your information corrected or removed. Um, in many jurisdictions, such as Europe or, or California, there are rules that dictate what a company must do in their terms of allowing your users to either change or delete their data, depending on where you live, you may also have similar protections. Some companies um, have had to create internal processes to address these legal requirements, um, and they're not going to necessarily restrict who can use it. So you may find that because a large company has created a policy for GDPR in Europe, which is frankly the strongest privacy policy. You know, maybe you're in Kansas in the United States, um, but they'll still let you delete your data because they have a GDPR process. Um, so, so my my suggestion is that if you're looking to update your information or delete it, um, check to see that the company has such a policy um, about cor cor uh, correction or deletion and just make that attempt. And if you're in a jurisdiction like Europe or California um, and Canada, it doesn't, it's not as strong as uh, California's and California's isn't as strong as Europe's, um, but those are, um, those jurisdictions do provide some protection. And if you're in one of those jurisdictions, take advantage of the protections that you have. Um, use use your rights. Um, otherwise, um, <laughs> if those rights aren't exercised, they don't mean very much. So the last question we want to ask is whether uh, privacy policy changes will be something that the company will let you know about. Uh, over time, uh, privacy policies change. This could be due to changes in the service, legal changes, um, so as new laws and things are put out, um, the company has to change policies, or maybe the company has found problems and it needs to address those problems by updating its its policies. Whatever the reason, we need to know. Uh, well, we know we know that privacy policies change over time, and we need to know what those changes are. Um, so the question is, will they preemptively? Will they let us know? Um, sometimes a company will simply say that a privacy policy will change, and then it will be up to you to track those changes. Other times, a company will proactively go out and tell you about their privacy policy changes, um, and that letting you know is obviously better. Um, and better still is when the company lets you know not only that the privacy policy has changed, but what the differences are. Um, although I will tell you that that is pretty rare that they will go through and talk about what the changes are to their privacy policy. Um, my experience is that sometimes what they do is they'll they'll talk about it, but you in, in, in sort of the most flattering way. Um, so uh, you'll you'll still wanna wanna read it. But I'm gonna let you all in on a little secret. Uh, reading uh, terms and service policies is nearly impossible. 
Um, I read an article that says it would take the average American 250 hours to read through all the terms of service and privacy policies for all the various services and apps they use. And we know no one does that. Lawyers don't do that. Nobody does that. Right. What did I say earlier that we have, what, 150 to 300 uh, online accounts, 40 apps. Another another um, article I read said that we have on average 80 apps. Um, that's that's a lot of terms of service. That's a lot of privacy policies. Um, and so we know that we're realistically not going to be uh, reading all these privacy policies. And that's why TOS, TLDR. Uh, is awesome. It's a website. Uh, you go there and people, other people have read the terms of service and the privacy policies, and they've identified the problematic parts, you know, if there are any. Sometimes there aren't. And then they give the site a rating. So all you need to do is go to tostldr.org and look up the site or service that you're interested in, or even better, you can use their browser plugin, which automatically pulls up the rating for any website you visit. If the site is especially bad, it even gives you a little warning. And, and I, I use this plugin. Um, it's a nice, simple way to be reminded that the sites that you're on may not be your best friend. Um, this site, the, sorry, this service is totally free. Um, but they do rely on donations and volunteers to read through the terms of service and privacy policies. So if that's important to you, uh, go over there uh, and donate and consider volunteering your time by helping them go through privacy policies and terms of service and helping other people. Um, you can do that and that helps you, it helps the world. Um, and that's especially true if you find a site that they haven't analyzed um, and there are plenty of them. So, you know, you could be helping someone um, saving, you know, saving someone's data by spending the time um, and that, you know, that you're saving by using this, this service. So uh, I, I really love TOS TLDR. Um, in addition to TOS TLDR, there's another one. Uh, there's the Common Sense Privacy Report. Common Sense is a US-based nonprofit focused on children and families. And their privacy program is designed to make it easier for parents and teachers to quickly understand the impact of various online services. So their privacy reports are a lot like TOS, TLDR, but they also have visual tools to help track changes over time. And I think that's a great way to see the direction that a service is going in. The common sense privacy reports are made by a single organization. They're, they're not made up by, you know, crowd crowdsourcing volunteers um, like TOS, TLDR is. Um, and whether that's a bad thing or a good thing is, is really up to you. Um, they don't have as large a database, um, but I think they're also very good. Um, and again, by not crowdsourcing, you know, they're a little more expertise, um, but I think the TOS, uh, TLDR um, has a little more scope. Um, but I do love their visual changes uh, tool. I think it's really it's really good. So aside from relying on the privacy po uh, policy that a company provides, um, I think the best thing you can do is to only give a company enough information that they need to do their job. For example, you don't need to give them your physical if if you don't need to give them your physical address, don't. 
where if this company doesn't need your birthday, don't give it. Uh, aside from that, other things you can, you know, some other things you can do uh, is to restrict how much information about you that your device gives. For example, if a website you know, doesn't need your geographic location um, and it asks for permission for that, don't give it. Or if an, ac if an app on your phone doesn't need access to your contacts, don't give it access. <laughs> um, we've done a, 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 a few previous episodes on privacy in web browsers. We did one on which web browser, we did on web browser settings, plugins, and, and all that. So if you haven't seen um, those webinars, go and check them out. And they're chock full of very specific things you can do to, to make your browser better. Um, and we've also talked about the ways that you might benefit from a VPN or Tor. And I think that can be useful here as well. Um, using a VPN uh, will hide a little bit of information about you, such as um, your, your geographic location. Um, so that can, that can also be useful. Um, we're, you know, we're limiting, oops, didn't mean to change slides here. Sorry about that. Uh, we're limiting the information the side can collect um, by essentially just not giving it to them in the first place. So, right, so if they don't have the information, they can't sell it, they can't give it away to a trusted partner. Um, and that does take us to conclusions. Um, here we are at the end, uh, right before we do uh, Q&A. So let's do a quick wrap up of what we've covered. Uh, firstly, take ads and marketing speak about privacy with a huge grain of salt. A lot of the terms they use are just entirely meaningless and sometimes they're deceptive. You can use tools like TOS TLDR to help you get an easy overview of privacy policies and terms of service, and especially the plugin. I love the plugin. Um, and we've covered things to look for when evaluating a privacy policy yourself. And then lastly, we talked about simply giving less information, whether that's opting out of offering um, information or using tools to restrict the information that a site collects. You know, the less they have, the less they can use. So um, you know, give them less, you know, decide whether or not that business is someone you want to be doing business with, you know, use tools like TOS, TLDR, or read or skim the privacy policies yourself. Um, look, this is all about empowering you. This is all about giving you the best chance to, to protect your information because once it's out there, it's really hard to put the genie back in the bottle, right? So we're gonna do a word from our sponsor. Um, I'm, gonna get, I'm gonna drink some water, then we're gonna do a word from our sponsor and then we're gonna jump right into Q&A. So I'm gonna drink my water. And now Q and uh, now the most important part is the word from our sponsor, Dating Kinky. This series, dating, um, this series, keeping secrets, it wouldn't be possible without the support of Dating Kinky. They've been incredibly supportive to me in helping get this information out to you. So now I'm going to talk to you about their offering, Dating Kinky Plus, and why I think it's a great deal. If you're here listening to me, presumably you care about kink education. I care about kink education, and if you're here, I think you do too. 
So whether that's this series on privacy, whether that's learning BDSM skills like rope or flogging or fire play, um, or whether it's soft skills like how to be a better dominant, how to be a better submissive, relationship skills, or non-monogamy skills, or or more, you know, these this is all kink education, right? This is all bettering yourself. So if you care about this kind of series or you want to learn more and be a better dominant, be a better submissive, be a better partner, just be a better person, that's where Dating Kinky Plus comes in. Dating Kinky has tons of webinars, just like this one, that you can watch and listen to. Their library of kink educational material has over 400 hours uh, of, well, of material on, on topics like being a newbie in the scene, power exchange, communication, mental health, uh, relationship dynamics, um, including non-monogamy, monogamy, open relationships, um, and you know this series on privacy, the one you're listening to right now. Joining Dating Kinky Plus also gives you access to books like The Big Book of Ass, FLR, Femdom and Women in Charge, and Next Stop O-Town. You'll also get access to additional features on the Dating Kinky app so you can find someone to connect with. Um, and I think as we come out of COVID, um, and you know, I think we're just, a lot of us are just starting to peek out of COVID, connecting with people is pretty, is more important now than ever. So with all this amazing content, um, with all these features and the app, the books, uh, the material, the connection with other kinksters, like it's, it's just an amazing deal. So you'll get, you know, you'll get the educational material, the books, the app, the features. And um, if I am correct, at the time of this recording, it's only $9.99 a month um, American. So that's really not a lot when you consider just how much you're getting. But if you sign up for six months or a year, you'll save 40%. So 40% on what was already an incredible deal. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Only I don't think it can, it can get much better than that. Um, beyond all that, by signing up to Dating Kinky Plus, if you're not already a member, you're showing your support for this series, the Keeping Secrets series with me, and showing that you care about kink education and kink products. So those are all great reasons, right? You, again, you get the educational material. You get all the webinars you can watch and listen to. You get the community you can connect with. You get the app features um, that give you better, you know, connect better chances to, to connect or at least better features to connect with uh, another kinkster. You get all the books uh, and you get to show uh, where your values are. So with all that, I don't know. I don't think there's much more for me to say other than uh, please, please join Dating Kinky Plus. So let's do, um, let's just quickly, quickly go over some upcoming topics before we do question and answer. Um, in April, I'll be doing uh, keeping your privates private with, uh, well, we'll be talking about instant messengers. This is one that I have been asked about for a long time. So we're going to go through some instant messengers, um, some that you've used and uh, may not be aware of some of the privacy issues around, a bunch you probably have never used. 
uh, and my take on them. And I think that's going to be really a really fun one. Um, and a lot of good information there. May, we're going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be doing an um, interview with uh, Mean Streak Mile Wide. Um, he's an attorney. We're going to be talking about BDSM privacy and the law. Um, and uh, he's got a lot of great things to say on this topic, and I'm really, really excited for him. Um, and we'll see what uh, June and July come with. I, I uh, need, need to figure that out. <laughs> the time is marching on. But we've got we've got April and May. So uh, so with that, let's do question and answer. So I'm going to pop over here, and I am going to see what questions and what comments we have. Let's see. Da, da, da. Okay. Da, 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 da. Okay. Uh, so Ryan, you'll be emceeing the 10 p.m. show, Entangled Mentally Health Kink in the Vanilla World. That's great to know. Um, so thank you so much for that. Uh, sharing an issue for money, talking about paper notes. Uh, Andy, I uh, don't know that site. So um, uh, I guess if somebody's interested, go check that out. Uh, okay. Have I heard about the consolidation of VPNs? There was an article about it mentioning that this posed a privacy rink, a privacy risk, I think. So that's a thousand words. So a thousand words, that's a great question. So I'm going to do my best at answering it. Um, there has been a consolidation of uh, VPN companies, and that is concerning. The risk is that um, as these consolidations happen, the, the, the owners that we may have so carefully chosen may be taken over by less scrupulous companies, either with less good privacy policies or, um, uh, you know, that they might just transfer your information over um, and have no oversight. So that is a, that is a privacy concern. Um, and it's tricky because for a lot of uses, you, know, you want the big provider because the big provider is going to give you those great speeds and lots of access and, and you know more functionality. But on the flip side, um, you know if they're making their money off of you, it's it's not a good deal, right? So my only the only answer I can give you right now is you know look at the privacy policies for these companies, look at their reputation, you know search them online, see if they have um, see if they have some, some stains on their reputation um, and, uh, you know, I guess stay informed. Uh, I don't have any specific information to give you right now about that, but I do think that's that should be an upcoming topic. Um, going back and maybe redoing that VPN webinar with um, more information about the current landscape of VPN companies. So thank you so much for that question. Uh, me too. Uh, thanks for sharing your kink. We support your talents. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. Me too. Um, are there any known backdoors? Oh, me ask. Are there any known backdoors to end in to end to end encryption? So that's an interesting question with a lot of pieces. Um, so I'm going to do my best to answer it. And if it's not clear, I really would love feedback if I'm not clear because this is a little complicated. So with an end-to-end -end encryption, you can think about it like, I'm going to go back with my passing notes in class, right? So regular encryption, uh, you can think about it like 
um, you give your note to the hall monitor, but you put your note in an envelope. Then the hall, then somebody in the other classroom opens it up and passes it on to the to the to the recipient. With end-to-end -end encryption, it's more like the um, you know the envelope is being is sealed from the person who writes the note all the way to the recipient. So when we think about are there backdoors? Well, there can be a few. There can be a number of backdoors. So first of all, how strong is the envelope? Um, I know it's a weird analogy, like how strong is the envelope, right? But how good is the encryption? Is encryption is constantly changing and evolving. So uh, bad encryption can be easily broken. So that's the first way. Um, and what we say in the security um, industry is that security has, a, sorry, encryption has a shelf life, right? Uh, security from 20 years ago is pretty easily broken. Um, you can reasonably be assured that encryption is only going to last about 10 years. So that's that's sort of my answer there. The the other the other backdoor is well, there's actually two other backdoors. So the 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 second backdoor is that if a company has access to, let's say, your phone, they don't need encryption. They can just take screenshots, right? So they don't need to break the encryption. They can just be looking over your shoulder, right? Using our notes analogy, if they're looking over your shoulder and they're reading what you read, they don't need to. They don't need to break the envelope. That's a That's way too complicated. They can just look at what you're doing and see what you're doing, and there it is. Like problem solved from their part. From their part. The third way, and this is the most technical, um, and this gets tricky. I'm trying to think how I want to explain it. Um, so imagine you have someone who is writing a note to another person, but we know that you don't write the note. The app is the one writing the note. The, the app is the one doing the encryption. So a way to bypass or break end-to-end -end encryption is to have the app create a second recipient that can read the note. And that will be invisible to you, the writer, but the app will know and the app will create, it basically will create two notes, one to your recipient and one to some unknown person, let's say the government, that uh, can read the note. And if that sounds scary, um, it is scary with proprietary, so that's non-open source apps, there's no way to know that's happening. Um, and that is, in fact, what the law in Australia is requiring. It's either that you shut down your end-to-end -end encryption apps or that you add a new recipient invisible to the person using it, and that recipient is the company and or the government. And um, I hope that's clear. Um, but that's, I think that's the best way I can explain it without getting really, really technical. So, and yeah, it is super scary. Um, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had something really positive to say like, oh yes, but we can defeat that. So, um, actually let me give you one way of defeating it. So we're going to talk about instant messengers next month. This is a topic that I feel really strongly about. 
Um, when we're looking at instant messengers, you want to be looking, or at least I think we want to be looking at ones that are open source. So ones that, that a, a person can read, can audit the software, understand what it's doing. Now you might say, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not going to, going to read, you know, all this computer source code. Um, but somebody can, and people that care do, and, uh, it, it's a prerequisite. It's a requirement that people be able to read it to know that there's at least some amount of security. So if there's no open source, you really can't know what's going on. Um, and, uh, and we'll go over a lot of that next next month. Um, it's a really deep topic. So, um, me too asks, uh, hey, Veer, most of my friends have used Facebook, Twitter, and other privacy disrespecting social media for years. And only recently, iOS and Android have allowed users to block phone contacts from being uploaded to these services. How does a private person re remove uh, my data, get friends to remove their uh, their friends' contacts from these online services that I never used and make aware to the general public that these services harvest people's contacts without each contact's consent? What a great question. Um, so I'm going to kind of reiterate that question because I read it a little, um, a little mechanically. Basically, hey, uh, if... If somebody puts my information in their phone or in their Facebook or in their Twitter, I'm not in control of that information. They're in control of it. And if they're putting it on a, on a place that doesn't respect privacy, you know, now my, my information is being slurped up. How do I stop that? Um, that was something that we talked about in one of the early uh, episodes of this series. And the answer is, unfortunately, that there's not a lot you can do. Um, you can tell them, you could try to explain to them, hey, I really don't feel comfortable. Please don't post pictures of me on Facebook. Please don't post pictures of me on Twitter. Uh, really don't post pictures of me doing kink on Facebook and Twitter. Please don't save photos of me um, doing kink uh, online. You know, please don't, you know, don't do those things. But ultimately, you can't. You can't force that. Um, and it's really, really, really scary. Um, and that's where, you know, and it's it's the worst version of that is something like revenge porn, right? And um, we, should, we should do a, we should do one of these on, on that and what kind of things can you do and what kind of requests can you make? Cause there are, there are some things that you can do. There are some steps you can take, but um, that would be a full webinar on its own. And it's one I want to do. So I think the real answer to that is stay tuned. I'm going to get as much information about that as I can. And we'll talk about it uh, in an upcoming uh, episode. So I see Mia's typing. I'm, I'm kind of making the last call here. I realize this was a somewhat short uh, webinar. Sometimes we go on for a lot longer, but um, short and sweet is good sometimes. So um, last call for questions. I, I see Mia's typing, Me too is typing. Um, so I'm gonna give a couple of minutes um, for their questions. Anybody else has questions, um, you know, 
open. I love your questions. I love your feedback. These are really, really great questions. Uh, me asks, uh, I have mentioned exercising your rights so that so that their meaning stays. What can we do to show that privacy respecting policies are important to us? It's a great question. How can we tell someone? Well, um, first way is, um, you know, voting with your dollar, right? So, you know, using sites and services and telling them, hey, the reason I've chosen you is because of your privacy policy. Um, the reason I've chosen you is because of this policy or that policy. Let them know. Um, I think that positive reinforcement um, is a very powerful tool, right? Uh, it's more powerful to tell someone who's doing the right thing, hey, I'm, I have chosen you because you do the right thing and here's what the right thing is and this is why I'm staying with you. It's more powerful to do that than to tell someone else, hey, I don't want to use your tool or I don't want to use your site because of this, that, and the other. They're not going to be motivated, as motivated, I think, um, as the as the site that's doing the right thing is. The site that's doing the right thing is going to hear that it's going to be an affirmation. Um, but the site that's doing the wrong thing is just going to think we need to spend more money on marketing. So um, that's maybe a little cynical, but I think it's true. I think that if a company has uh, those values of privacy, et cetera, that, that you know, you need to reward that. You need, we need to reward good behavior, right? Uh, a good dominant rewards good behavior at least as much, um, if not more, than punishes uh, bad behavior. So um, re reward good behavior, positive reinforcement. Um, I think that's our. I think that's our best way. Um, so, yeah. Um, sexy hypno, our contacts out of big tech, please. Um, if I had that power, I would use it uh, for that. So uh, we'll keep we'll we'll keep in mind um, that that will be my greatest scene ever. So thanks all. Um, this has been really great. I know at ten o'clock, um, Dating Kinky is going to have Ryan uh, doing the uh, mental health. Um, I want to get the name of the site of the thing right, Ryan. If you could, uh, oh, Untangled Mental Mentally Healthy Kink and a vanilla world. What a great title. So thank you all. Um, I cannot wait uh, for April. It's going to be really, really great. Um, thank you all for coming. If this was your first time, um, you know, welcome. If this, if this wasn't your first time, welcome back. Um, you're all awesome. You all keep me going. Um, I can't wait to see you all next month. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, feel, please feel free to contact me on um, email or um, on, on FetLife. So thanks you all, and I'll see you soon. Hi, everyone. Uh, just know that um, this is uh, Ryan, a.k.a. Castaway. Just know we do have a show coming up, at, as Vera said, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, do feel free to, if you are interested in sticking around, do feel free to, um, you know, keep, you know, stay in the chat, even if you end up, uh, you know, having some kind of, you know, intermission or break, uh, I'll probably be, um, uh, you know, on the kind of on the quiet side for since we have a kind of a full hour, but I think our hosts will probably be coming in around, I'd say about 940 Eastern, something like that. So, um, you know, we'll probably have some pre-show pre -show chat uh, then um, and uh, we'll uh, get that show underway eventually. Um, so 